Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. In our podcast series, we are going to discuss a range of topics affecting police officers and anyone involved in the criminal justice system. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com. Welcome back to Plod. One of our very popular episodes from our last series was a guide to divorce for police officers in lockdown. We recorded this with Katie McCann from Night Solicitors, and I'm very pleased to be joined again by Katie. Hi, Katie. Hi. Hi. We had a tremendous response to the last podcast and we've had a lot of requests emailed in asking us if we could speak again and if you could talk to us about other issues that are affecting police officers as key workers during a difficult time, particularly in relation to childcare. You're a specialist in this area, so we're very glad to have you back. COVID-19, look, it's obviously caused tremendous disruption to families and as we're in the midst of a, a second lockdown, can you tell us about the problems that you've encountered as a family practitioner since the first lockdown in March concerning children who have been separated from families seeing both parents? So we have had so many problems, Daniel. I, can't, I cannot tell you. Right. As soon as we went into lockdown back in, back in March, our phone just did not stop ringing. And it was primarily with existing clients who Mm. just had been sent off into a tailspin and really, really just wanted to know what can we actually do in these circumstances. And it fell basically into two camps. So the first camp was really genuinely concerned parents where, you know, the child may have been high risk. They may have been high risk. They might have had vulnerable parents themselves. So all the people in the families and the other camp were people who were just very, very opportunistic and would look for any excuse imaginable to try to to stop contact with the non-resident parent. So we had those two sorts of scenarios to deal with. The very next day after lockdown, because I think the country basically just erupted with this particular issue and family lawyers were just pulling the hair out. The the president for the family division released some guidance. Now, I call it guidance loosely because what it did in the way that it was drafted just opened up, if you like, Pandora's box. And there were so many grey areas in it that it wasn't clear. It didn't give definitive um, avenues for parents to go down. Basically, what it said was that whilst children could move between houses, Mm. that didn't mean that they must move between houses, that parents needed to act sensibly in the best interests of the children, needed to take into account if somebody had been infected, the chance, the risk of infection, vulnerability, shielding. How was anybody supposed to interpret this? That that also relies on two things. One is, I suppose, the, the parents being mature enough to 
put the children first rather than whatever squabbles they rightly or wrongly have as a result of the, the breakdown. And two, common sense. And unfortunately, some people are incapable of displaying either and others are very, very good. But it's not it's not the clearest of guidance. And we've seen this throughout the COVID legislation because we have obviously have the law and we have the, the, the guidelines. And they've been, uh, I think any practitioner will agree, extremely unclear, dreadfully drafted, and really quite a nightmare for anyone trying to interpret them. It doesn't help. Absolutely. And one one of the one of the main issues in this guidance was that both parents needed to adhere to the stay at home guidance. Mm-hmm. So not only was the country massively confused about what the stay at home guidance was and even more confused now, at the time what we were experiencing were people saying, well, my child can't go to contact because we've come into contact with an infected person and we're self-isolating. And then you would discover on social media that they weren't self-isolating at all. You know, they were having a party around the friend's house or something like that. Yes. And then you were getting people saying, well, you can't see your child because you're not adhering to stay-at-home guidelines because I know that you've been to your girlfriend's And that was in breach of the guidelines. Yes. So there were all kinds of excuses and, you know, all kinds of circumstances coming to coming to the fore that we were trying to advise people as best as we possibly could. But what the guidance went on to say was that parents could vary a child arrangements order. So if there was an actual child arrangements order already in place, they could vary it by consent between the two of them. Yes. That would be great if they could. Or alternatively, if one parent was so desperately concerned about the welfare of their child, for whatever reason, they could vary it unilaterally as long as they made alternative arrangements for contact, i.e. by Zoom or by telephone. But they had to be aware that once we were through this, that the non-resident parent could make an application and bring it before the court and they'd have to explain themselves as to why they took the action that they did. But with it being so unclear from the guideline perspective, this is all up for debate, it's all up for arguments, and it's really difficult to give some very clear advice to people on what they should or shouldn't be doing. Practically, I mean, applications, the courts are so backed up. The family courts, uh, you know, understand anything from six to 12 months behind and are only dealing with more urgent matters. So query whether that will ever be done. Of course, I I want to sympathetic, but to parents who previously had clear procedures and uh, arrangements in place as to when they can and cannot have their children. And suddenly there'll be many parents who because of lockdown, suddenly found themselves on their own and not being able to have contact as often as they'd like. That's something that, you know, any parent will look forward to and will find it very difficult when can't uh, take advantage of those arrangements. But, you know, also we have an extremely dangerous disease going around and there had to be a balance. Things have moved on, obviously, since the first lockdown. Uh, One would have hoped that the legislation and guidelines would have improved in clarity. It hasn't at all. Perhaps, I mean, our our listeners here are are mainly 
police officers or, or practitioners. And police officers tend to be better than uh, the average member of the public at understanding law and rules. That's that's their you know stock in trade, I suppose. And uh, but police officers and, and and key workers have have suffered seriously during lockdown. They've had to work longer shifts. They've had less access to family time than they would normally do. Have you noticed in particular police officers suffering any particular issues during lockdown? Yes, we have. And police officers are our key workers. They are frontline. And we have experienced quite a lot of families of police officers where it has been acrimonious, refusing contact to to their children on the basis that they are frontline. They are there with the public and they are, for all intents and purposes, more exposed to the virus. Carrying a greater risk. If we, we look, you know, that there have been protests throughout the country without debating whether protests have been justified or not. Some of them have turned very violent. Police officers have been targeted. They've often found themselves having to wade into large demonstrations uh, to tackle people or attending at houses, for example, where you know there may be a party going on. It is a greater risk of exposure. So how justified is the former partner, the, the other parent in that situation, in saying, no, I think you're carrying too much risk. I'm not going to let you have the child in these circumstances. So on my interpretation of the guidance, which actually hasn't changed, by the way, so it's the same guidance that we had on the 24th of March. It hasn't changed since then. So in in my interpretation of it, it's dependent upon the individual circumstances of the family. So there isn't any distinct prohibition on a police officer having his or her contact with their child further to a child arrangement order or further to an agreement with with their ex. There's no prohibition on it. But let's say, for example, the ex-partner who the children live with Mm. is a particularly vulnerable person and they, in the last lockdown, were a shielded person it could be said that it would be justified in those circumstances to limit or stop direct contact during this particular point in time, i.e. the second wave, until things start to settle down again and facilitate contact by Zoom or by telephone call. So it, it might be said that circumstances like that wouldn't be deemed to be unreasonable but it's all up for debate. It's all up for debate because that person may say, well, I, you know, I'm a vulnerable person. Well, why are you a vulnerable person? Well, because I've got asthma. So I understand, and whilst I haven't looked at the stats and the evidence surrounding this, in the first lockdown, people with asthma, for example, were seen to be vulnerable people. But because the evidence has moved on now, I think the classifications of who's vulnerable and who should try to shield is different because we know more about the virus. We know more about its effects. There are some, there are some, some treatments that can mitigate the effects of it once somebody gets into hospital. So arguments that somebody might have had in March Mm. might not stack up now 
but they might still try to use those as arguments to try to, to curtail contact. So it's difficult, it's up for interpretation, and I would say it's fact specific for each particular family on what is reasonable and what yeah. is reasonable. It sounds like it might be a fairly low bar. I mean, if you know, I was to say um, you know, my elderly mother's living with me, heaven forbid, by the way, I wouldn't last two minutes <laughs> living with me, but you know, my elderly mother was living with me and she'd come with saying elderly as well. But, uh, you know, I, I could be justified in saying, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm worried about the risk to her. I don't think it, it would take too much for somebody to come up with a reason why it, it would be too risky. So it's, it's very reliant on goodwill and, as I say, sort of common sense and people trying to work in the best interest of the children, which just doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen, um, as, as we know. So police officers can, as any other member of the public can do, if they find themselves in a situation where they feel like their contact is being stopped unreasonably, yeah. And it doesn't feel right in these circumstances. Yeah. What are the solutions for them? What they can do is they can apply to the court for a child arrangements order. So they can apply directly to the court to ask for an order to be put in place. And any excuses that the other party has got will have to be heard in front of a judge difficulty and I can preempt your next question Daniel is going to be well how quickly can you get that in front of a judge these days yes that's another problem that we've got which is there is a huge backlog of cases to come before the court because the court system just was not ready for COVID-19 wasn't ready to go away and deal with things by video etc and whilst we are doing that now it's taking quite a while to gather pace and to become effective. So unless something is really urgent, would you get it in front of a judge quickly? Probably not. So the alternative to that is to try and attend, if if possible, if the other party agreed to this, would be to try mediation, try some form of alternative dispute resolution. So you can do that. That does work in a lot of circumstances, believe it or not, and especially in relation to children. And lots of mediators that we work with do everything at the moment by video conferencing. So there's no need for anybody to come into contact with anybody else. All of the arguments can be rehearsed and can be discussed with a mediator to try to bring a conclusion to it and a sensible interim way forward. And lots of people are choosing that as opposed to going through the court route at the moment. But if that failed or it wasn't an option because the other party didn't want to do it, then making your application to the court is your only option, whereby then the other party would be forced to have to explain and to justify to the court their reasoning for stopping contact. And how do, uh, can there be cost sanctions very very rarely in family proceedings very rare so costs following the event which we're all used to from a civil point of view doesn't really wash in family proceedings so it would be incredibly rare that a police officer would get a cost order against somebody it would have to go further than court just felt that the 
reasons why contact had been stopped on particular occasions was unreasonable. It would have to go far beyond that. Far beyond it. So there would have to be, in family proceedings, if there was litigation misconduct. So if they were misbehaving in such a way that it meant that the proceedings couldn't proceed in a way that we would imagine them to in the time frame that we want them to do, if they were withholding evidence, not giving information when they should do, that sort of stuff can result in a cost order. But a lot of the time in children proceedings as well, because the court will put the interests of the child above everything else, Mm. it would be reluctant to make a cost order if it was going to then be detrimental to the welfare of the child. There are other considerations to to think about. Yes. So, I mean, you and I, we've both represented police officers for many, many years. And for the public, uh, for the most part, they put on a, a very professional front and have to deal with many, many situations which the majority of people couldn't possibly deal with. And, uh, you know, it's it's a a stressful job. But police officers are still humans uh, and finding themselves in this sort of situation where they may have limited contact to their children as a result of COVID, you know, the first step must be, I suppose, to to try and have contact with your ex reasonably, work it out in the best interest of the child and do it amicably. If that fails, you'd say take advice. Absolutely. The first step always should be pick up the phone to the ex-partner, pick up the phone, send them an email, try to do it in the least acrimonious way possible. We are living in, and I hate saying it because we've all said this over and over since March. It's true. (laughs) It's It's true. It's so unprecedented. And to have gone into this second wave, none of us wanted to be in this situation but we're back where we started effectively at the moment so trying to do things without spending lots of cost without having to wait to go through the court system Mm. and without raising further animosity between ex-partners is always the best way forward but unfortunately it doesn't it doesn't work for everybody and the only way forward would be to bring it before a court. I anticipate once we get on the other side of this, and I anticipate after Christmas in particular, or maybe on just the run-up to Christmas, that we get a massive glut of instructions and applications to the court about contact, where people perhaps have been dealing with things on a less than than ideal way Mm. for a number of months. And... Christmas is coming up and they want to see their children. And I anticipate that, you know, we will end up with lots of, we will be busy as family lawyers around the festive period. Yes. And police officers, of course, listening to this, you know, if you find yourself in difficult situations, please also make use of the resources made available by the force in terms of mental health support, family support and support from colleagues. Katie, thank you so much for joining us again. And hopefully next time we speak, everything will be a lot more normal. Let's hope so. (laughs) Thanks, Daniel. Take care. Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. 
If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com.